Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, April the 10th, 2021. Um, but joining me back from Arlington, Texas, full of ambient noise already, is Chris Gallo. Hello. Hello. It's uh, good to be back uh, after a week off. Uh, you know, I was in Texas for all the events uh, they're really around WrestleMania. I didn't get to attend a WrestleMania. I did go to Access, Superstar so, so Access. You didn't, you didn't go to, to WrestleMania Sunday. No, the, the plan was originally that, but the uh, the nights have two to three hours of sleep. Just once I hit Sunday, I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna go back in the hotel and watch WrestleMania. So, how no. many event? How many events did you work? Uh, I worked three events uh, as an ring announcer, or commentator. Um, and I was helping out the GoPro production team. We were doing a lot of events for Fight. Uh, at one point, I was at AAA. Uh, I was at Impact Multiverse of Matches. Did you do I work for these companies, or did you just you were just at those shows? Kind of, kind of, kind of just hung out. <laughs> yeah, just hung out. Uh, but uh, and then a bunch of shows at the Collective, especially all the morning shows. As uh, Jonathan Ash produced all the morning shows, I was hanging out with him, and I was there for Planet Death. I was there for the Cluster. Uh, the cluster, yes, the cluster, the cluster F. <laughs> um, um, you can't swear too early in a YouTube video. They don't, they don't like that. No. Um, anyway, uh, you, I gave you my recorder, so yes. you, you've come back with a lot of interviews. I think I, I, I think you were trying to get that Vince interview. Uh, did that happen? It, it, it did not. Uh, you know, I want to keep the interviews WrestleNomicsy business uh, wise, and uh, just very hard to find business individuals. Uh, mostly, just you know, I if it was just interviewing wrestlers, got had a lot of interactions with them. But okay, we talked last week with um, Jesse Collins, who filled in for you, um, and we were recording at this time on Sunday. So WrestleMania Sunday had not happened yet. So here we have the first paragraph of a press release that W put out on Monday. Saying this is the this is the biggest WrestleMania ever, basically. Yeah, uh, from the Dallas Business Wire, uh, WWE announced that WrestleMania 38 become became WWE's highest grossing and most attended event in company history. Uh, WWE's annual pop culture extravaganza saw 156,352 fans from all 50 states in 53 countries converge on AT&T Stadium in Dallas over the course of two exciting nights, surpassing the previous gate and attendance records set by WrestleMania 32 in 2016. Okay. Um, is this, um, is this, I've heard some people call this misleading. I, I said they were conflating um, this two night event as, as one night, making it sound as if yes. this is quite comparable to all other WrestleManias. Um, this is the first time that WrestleMania with full capacity uh, has been a two night event. Uh, they're comparing it to the WrestleMania 32 event, which is the biggest live gate, for a pro wrestling show ever adjusted for inflation, unless you're counting Saudi events, which are not exactly it's we're talking about ticket selling revenue and the Saudi events are not ticket selling revenue. That's a payment from the government to, to WWE. But anyway, um, interesting that um, they characterize this as 156,000. I'm sorry, right? 156,352 fans. Not fans, ushers, yes. takers, hot dog vendors, and things of that nature. Fans. Um, WrestleTix, though, uh, reporting that night one had 65,700. Night two had 65,000, about 700. Uh, that comes to a total. That comes to a total of 
131,372. So about 131,000 tickets distributed, estimated by WrestleTix based on WrestleTix analysis of the ticketing maps. I know this was an especially hard one to for WrestleTix to follow because this was on SeatGeek rather than on Ticketmaster. SeatGeek is a little bit harder to get access to, or maybe a lot harder to get access to, to automatically analyze uh, what's happening there. And I know there's a lot of uh, judgment calls that he has to make too, as far as when things are being taken off of the, the map. Is it because they've been sold or is it because they've just changed the inventory that's being put on sale? Uh, but anyway... They announce a, com- a combination between Saturday and Sunday. About 78,000 each night is what they announced. And that, that totals this number, 156,000. Um, I've been emailing the Arlington Police Department. Um, I have, I have, uh, we've been going back and forth. I've gotten some information, but uh, no information yet that, that we need to, uh, to report here today. Uh, may- maybe next week, though. Um, so just to, to stack this up against this, is this, what we're seeing on the screen right here is merely my estimate based on, you know, roughly like a $215 average ticket price could be higher than that could be lower than that. But if that's the case, about $27 million in ticket sales for this WrestleMania two night WrestleMania, which would be more than any other single night WrestleMania in history uh, by a fairly wide margin. If we adjust the 2016 $17.3 million up for inflation to today, um, this is only 2021 USD. I know there's been significant inflation this year, but if we're just going by last year's US dollar value, uh, almost $20 million is what that 2016 WrestleMania was in ticket sales revenue, which includes, I hope the Bix will remind me, which includes uh, the service fees, which apparently is not not the norm in, in other other sorts of announcements from other sports organizations when they announce their live gates. But Nonetheless, this is com- comparable, or at least pretty comparable, across the history of WrestleMania. Just to just to take a, a historical look back here, you know, when I was quizzing you on one occasion, Golo, what's the biggest live gate in WrestleMania history? I think you guessed WrestleMania three. Understandably, in, in the lore yes. of of wrestling history, that's the biggest event ever. Hogan slammed Andre ninety three thousand one hundred seventy nine, but that only for for today's dollars, that was only a three point eight million dollar gate. Only $3.8 million. That's a fraction of what any of these stadium manias did in this in this really strong stadium period from, I mean, there, there seems to be an, an abrupt, relatively abrupt change in about 2013. So that's the second rock mania, right? That's the second rock Cena. Um, so that's the New York mania in 2013, where they did for today's dollars, 13 million and, you know, crossed into doing over 10 million. Um, even in even in real dollars for that WrestleMania. Do we have any data as far as we've been basically told that the cities bid for WrestleMania, like cities bid for the Super Bowl and the Olympics. Do we have any data on that as far as what they're actually You're, you're going to get so much trouble with David Bixen's spam. Uh, <laughs> Bix, Bix did an article for Fanbyte on, on the WrestleMania bid books, um, which is sort of a, here's everything that we want. Uh, if we bring WrestleMania to your city, he's through in public information requests. He's obtained that information, and similar has been done for the Super Bowl that that he because they rolled out the red carpet. I'll tell you that. Uh, so being in in the city, so um, I don't know if you're familiar with Union Tower. It's the big like tower with the the giant spear on it in in downtown Dallas. No, 
Um, it's very close to the JFK assassination site, but, uh, it, uh, which is the weirdest tourist attraction ever, ever, by the way. But, uh, on this reunion tower, they had like the WWE name just rotating throughout at nighttime. And then there was a giant business building where they had the WWE logo, like, uh, like, and it's, and also the words WrestleMania just on the, uh, being projected on the yeah. big building. And then throughout the town, throughout the city in certain areas, they would have like the banner flags mm-hmm. on the streets. Like that would show all your favorite WWE stars. Like, uh, what, what purpose do you think that serves? I mean, I, I think part of it too, is the city, like making wrestle what they think is making wrestling fans feel welcome. Like, Hey, you're here for WWE. We're, we're showing you that you're a priority and all that. And I think it also shows WWE, like, look, we're rolling out the red carpet for you. Keep bringing these events to our to our city, uh, and you know they had it because I think they had the Superstar Access was downtown at the convention center, but then everything else was in Arlington. Well, NXT was in downtown area too, I believe. But that's these are WrestleMania ticket sales. What we'll find out next, the next time we'll get some insight. If, if I don't learn anything more here, and if nobody else learns anything more about the, the actual attendance in 2016, I was able to get a turnstile count for. WrestleMania 32 that actually happened in 2017, but that's for the event in 2016, 80,709, I believe is the number for WrestleMania 32. And with, you know, that is of course the event where they announced 101,763. But anyway, quarter one, WWE's quarter one report will happen either in late April, or I would say more likely in early May. They'll report for, oh, wait, no, actually, it'll be longer than that, right? Because they'll be reporting for January, February, and March. But when did this event happen? It happened in early April. So yep. we're not going to get the key performance indicator slide that may might have that might have the average attendances with and without WrestleMania. And in fact, there's, it's been so long since there's been a full capacity of WrestleMania that I don't know if they, if they even have one on the current set of slides uh, in the key performance indicators. But uh, we'll be able to do some math and figure out within a range what was the the attendance, and they do. So what we'll see here, they do have it for 2019, which makes sense, right? There was that, that was a full capacity WrestleMania. So they're showing here average attendance in North America in Q2 2019 was 5,800, but if you exclude WrestleMania, it was 4,700. And from that, we can do a bunch of math and figure, oh, we'll get an idea of what the paid attendance was within a range. If they do that again, Paul Heyman went on raw the following night. Raw closed with this promo from Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. He was standing back there too. Paul Heyman in character said this. The largest crowds in the history of WrestleMania weekend, 58% increase on Peacock from last year, and the largest grossing commerce facilitator in the history. Okay. Thank, thank you, Paul. 58% increase on Peacock, which would be comparable. Last year was a two-night WrestleMania, right? So mm-hmm. the comp to me would be give, give me the main show both nights. What was the average viewership compared to this year's average viewership? What was it? Lord knows we'll never get the actual number of viewers, but WWE has been glad. I'm sure they're coordinating with with NBC Universal on this. They have Nikon has gone through those lists of this is what this pay-per-view did. Excuse me, premium live event did year over year, uh, you know, so many percent, 24% and so forth. I did ask NBC Universal about this. Uh I didn't get a clear answer. 
Um, so we'll see. I, this sounds believable that it'll be up 58% and it would highlight some of the benefits of, of, of being on Peacock rather than the WWE network. I know there was a lot of, um, skepticism among some wrestling fans and commentators about how much this events like WrestleMania would be watched being on Peacock considering, um, they had 1.1 million subscribers on the W network and that maybe they wouldn't, I mean, they wouldn't all immediately transfer and perhaps they still haven't, but nonetheless, Peacock has, they disclosed uh, in their last earnings report. If you include the people who have Peacock as part of their Comcast plan, they have something like 24 million subscribers. I believe if you exclude that, it's something like 18 million subscribers. I tweeted it the other day uh, when, when MJ from MJ was asking, even if you don't include the people who have it as part of their cable plan, because perhaps they're not using it. Um, it's still something like 18 times the audience, possible audience, right? Coverage, not necessarily. Mm. I mean, sure, I'm sure a small fraction of that have any interest in WB, but it still leaves it available to a lot more people. Do you do you have Peacock, Golo? Well, yes. Do, you're, you know, you're, you're a W hater, I mean, fan. Um, no, no, I have Peacock for WB mostly because of the old library, but also to uh, The Office. My wife's a huge fan of The Office, so we have that to watch right. whenever we want. So. So like in a sense, it's, it's like, it's part of a bundle. Oh man, I'm probably too low. It's, it's part of a bundle that if you're, if you were a W network, I'm sure this, this, this will be relevant to a lot of people listening, right? Like if you were a W network uh, subscriber uh, and, and let's say, you know, you subscribed for this amount of time, then you canceled for that amount of time. And then you had a, a few different tenures as a subscriber to the, to the standalone W network. If you're, I'm talking to people in the U S I guess. Um, but now, you know, you may or may not be a subscriber if, if there were, if it was just a direct consumer service, but now today, you know, all right, well, you know, I'm going to watch the office or I, I have, I want to have Peacock for these other reasons or maybe premier league or whatever. And, um, it, and, and it's only half the price. So I'm more likely to have access to this thing than I would have been in some other case. Um, so I think even the people who, you know, consumed it previously on the W network, they're just more likely to be active subscribers to this, this service now, which is Peacock than they were, uh, in the case of when W was a standalone service. So more people are watching it. I guess that's good, right? I mean, we're not charging people directly for this for access to the to this event. They're getting it as a, a bundle service with a lot of other stuff, not just a lot of other WWE content, but a lot of other content that NBC Universal has a license to to stream. So there's certainly advertising revenue to gain. Um, have you watched WrestleMania now, Gullo? Uh, so yeah, I watched parts of. Saturday. I watched Sunday because I was in the hotel, but I watched parts of Saturday. I haven't watched the whole Saturday show yet, uh, but I, I wanted to see the Austin match and, and I wanted to see the Cody Rhodes match. Uh, so I, I watched both of those and I, and I also watched the uh, the Logan Paul tag match as well. I haven't watched the Knoxville thing. People told me it was very good, but... Mm-hmm. Device match. Anyway, um, WrestleMania. So you picked and chose the things that you watched. You did not watch it live. I watched Sunday live. You watched Saturday Sunday I did live. not because like I was doing a show. I did okay. watch Sunday live. How many times like, did you see the commercial for Seamus and Snickers? The Seamus Snickers commercial. Good lord. <laughs> they aired that thing like five times. Uh both nights. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was quite a few times. Part of what's happening here is is now WrestleMania, and then the, this is not super new. I'm sure it was, it's been like this at least since, since it's been on Peacock, and and you know pay per views have been like this back in, in the W Network. But you know, if you watch an old WrestleMania or something, it's not loaded with commercials for you know all these brands, but it's it's an ad supported piece of content in addition to being a subscriber supported piece of content, which is you know. A relatively new phenomenon. Um, so that's happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then like cricket and a few other partners that, that they had had some type of commercials over. I know like when I went to superstore access, very commercial heavy. So there was like a C4, the energy drink hologram thing where you could like take your picture with this hologram superstar. And then there was a cricket area. Then C4. they were not putting speak, three not Snickers used with the Ottawa based all- independent wrestling company. Go, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. They were all, they were putting free Snickers all over the WWE 2K22 stations where people played video games. Mm. So a lot of uh, promoting and brand cross branding at, at Superstar Access. Yeah. 2K and um, Snickers battling it out for brand supremacy as the key sponsors for WrestleMania. Um, so 58%. Um, that sounds believable to me. Um, who knows 50, who knows what what a 58% increase is uh i mean it has to be over i don't know i'm, I'm hesitant to, to to throw a number out there we know in the us w network at its peak had 1.2 million us subscribers um about 2 million worldwide um so that's sort of a baseline but um compare that to a linear tv show i mean having more than a million people watching something on streaming is is a lot i would think anyway um yeah, these these WrestleManias would still not be, you know, this would be like half of a Saudi event in in, in terms of what WrestleMania likely did for ticket sales. Anyway, um, I guess we could talk about some, some fan sentiment and some, you know, just sort of mainstream sentiment coming out of this event. Um, this this I think was a a, a good weekend for for WWE. Um, this was a win for WWE. Uh, this this event was relatively well received. Uh, especially night one. And I think there were a lot of things on, on night two that, that people liked, uh, including the, the jackass match. Um, but I, I, I have a sense of like optimism in the fan base. Combine that with, hey, this stock is on a, on a healthy run up here. I believe it's, what, what is it, over like, uh, it's well over $60, right? What did it close at on Friday? Uh, the stock closed at $61.49 on Friday. Uh, and what is it? Let's take a look at what it's been year to date. Really healthy up into the right trend here, right? It's uh, it's climbed now, sustaining over sixty dollars. Was flirting for a while, and it's finally over. That means they've got a market cap of over four point five billion dollars. Um, <clears throat> but I think uh, this event went pretty well. Roman Reigns is more than ever solidified as the top star in this company um, heel turn has done a lot of good for him and for his, the degree to which people accept him. You were in attendance for the, the new Orleans Lesnar reigns WrestleMania yes. match, which I, 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 that was obviously a one night event. I, I watched it on television live. My impression coming away from that 2018 event was this is not good. Not a good night for the, for the WrestleMania brand. Um, it's not a good night for WWE. I mean, financially, yeah, this is where they, where they cash out, but, um, that was a bad night. Fan briefly describe the, the atmosphere 
<laughs> um, a lot of booze, uh, a lot of Rusev Day chants, uh, beach balls being tossed uh, about the crowd. Uh, just people weren't into the main event. And I think it was, it was honestly, as the night went on, there was some great stuff that night, but as the night went on, I think the fans got more unruly. I think what really started the crumble was the Braun Strowman mystery tag partner being a, a child. <laughs> like I people Nicholas, really who could forget somebody who could forget yes. Nicholas. I think people expected something bigger with that. So then the fans were already kind of sour and they just weren't in it for Lester and Reigns. And like I said, beach balls and booze and all that. And, you know, and, and now, you know, a few years we're st- there is still some criticism I saw about the finish of the match and how it ended. Um, yeah, but I think it's m- much more seen a better light, by the way. Yeah. I did see the Knoxville match, but it was some parts of it. Cause my DoorDash driver. So that's why I was confusing it with night one. Uh, cause I was getting DoorDash, <laughs> but, uh, so, but yeah, so I, it seems to be that, see, people like to paint this picture that WWE fans are so different than fans of other companies. And Wrestling I think, companies. yes, it, yes. Is there straight WWE fans? I'm sure there is, but like, I could tell you, you know, I keep bringing this up just cause it's a really gauge of the fan base, but I went to Superstore Access, saw a lot of GCW hoodies, I saw AEW hoodies. Like, like it's, it's like, I think that this wrestle, at least is this WrestleMania weekend had a lot to cater to non WWE fans. If that, if that makes any sense with maybe some of the celebrities and Austin coming back. And there's a lot of pluralism, if you will, like just because you're into a non WWE wrestling brand doesn't necessarily mean that you're negative on WWE. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure. Like I said, obviously, there's loyalists of every company that that the 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 fans will just bam out any other company that. But then I think there's a lot of you know combined fan base, and I think that's when we hear the rumblings of WWE doesn't like all these events happening over the weekend. They don't like the Wrestle Cons and the indie shows and the collectives and all that, and they probably don't. But I don't know why, because at the end of the day, that's putting more fans in the city to buy those last minute WrestleMania tickets, and that's what happened this year, in my opinion. It's a bundle in itself, right? I get WWE yeah. would like to be able to make all that money that's being spent for themselves in some way. NXT in some ways was something that addressed that. Uh, but yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I, I know they have done things in the past that to, to try to like block venues and stuff, right? We've heard reports of that. Um, I don't know if that happened this year, but uh, yeah. Well, Booker T canceled all his shows. I don't mm-hmm. know the reason behind it. I I heard venue issues, but I found that strange. The one person on WWE payroll that was running indie shows canceled all his shows that weekend. Right, he he would be the only one who's like doing business with WWE, who's running an indie, who's going to run an indie, indie show. Is that is that right? We scan our brains I, here. There's no yeah, because all the Texas Mania shows didn't have anybody involved with WWE. Uh, the then the collective obviously is Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Um. Although Brett Lauderdale and Stephanie did take a picture together. Do you see that? Yeah, there was actually various members of GCW took pictures with Stephanie, like Kevin Gill, Jimmy Lloyd. The Jimmy Lloyd one popped me. Stephanie's a big GCW fan, I think. Is that that, that true? She she... pointed to the GCW logo on his coat, which I I absolutely popped for. Yeah. Anyway, um, I I felt a sense of optimism coming out of this event for WWE. All their issues aside which are not, not excused, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't know how, how these charts play into, uh, this topic, but, uh, yeah, I, I did some, um, 
some Google Trends analysis on personalities, on people. Um, and the most the most searched for people here in Q1 of 2022. So this is very recent data, right? Um, I didn't include people like Logan Paul. People were asking me about Johnny Knoxville. Um, they would not lead this list. I did look this up, but they would not lead this list, but they would be up pretty high. Um, but we have, I, I, I basically, you know, included you if you had a match. And then I've been doing a lot of work to identify what the Google Trends IDs are for everybody in wrestling of significance. Uh, but anyway, what we have, um, you know, it's, it's obviously subjective and ambiguous who should be included, who should be filtered into a category like this of wrestling related personalities. What the hell does that mean? Well, for whatever I thought it to mean, I've got this for Q1. Bad Bunny, number one. He had a, he, had, he was in the Royal Rumble. He had a match that is counted by cage match. So I, I included him. Uh, the Rock has not had any appearances on wrestling content that I can think of in Q1, but the, but the rock is the rock. Uh, and they stand more than double above everybody else here. More than double, right? Almost yep. triple, almost tripling the next nearest web search acquirer, John Cena, who's also not wrestling these days, although yep. he did it. That's a lot of Hollywood searching. Yep. Next is Scott Hall. I mean, Cena would be up here, you know, in, in, you know, Cena would be doing very well here uh, if we were looking yeah. at, like, let's say 2014 or something. But anyway, Scott Hall obviously finishing high because he just passed away, unfortunately. Um, and then Roman Reigns. Uh, and then Brock Lesnar. And then Triple H. And then The Undertaker. And then Ronda Rousey. So very few full-time wrestlers. Uh, so I did another chart where I also arbitrarily included people who I consider to be full-time wrestlers, at least in Q1. So that, so I did include Brock Lesnar uh, and Ronda Rousey in here. Uh, so we have number one, Reigns, number two, Lesnar. And then they double, almost double everybody else on the list. It's Reigns and Lesnar and then everybody else. And yes, I'm including AEW people here. Uh, and then it's Ronda Rousey. And then in Q1, it's Cody Rhodes at number four. Uh, and then it's it, then, then it's a pretty sharp fall from there, even down to Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, Paige Van Zant, the first, I, I guess, AEW associated person, although she's new to AEW. Uh, and then Sasha Banks, and then Pat McAfee, Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, Seth Rollins, Paul White, Vince McMahon, CM Punk. So, CM Punk, we have the first, I would consider, you know, full time wrestler for AEW. Uh, being edged out by Vince Punk is anyway, uh, people can look at the, the, the chart, which is on my Twitter. Um, and then, uh, somebody did uh, John Clark did a nice job of, um, color coding it by, by company. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, there's that. I think, um, I, I, I have to hand it to the people who want him, uh, acknowledged, you know, if, I, I've been looking at quarter hours now that we have quarter hours, uh, and doing a lot of, thought and math into how to analyze that. Um, not, not settled on just quite how to analyze quarter hours because quarter hours are so troubled by so many issues, but we do have YouTube views. Um, I guess now's, now's as good a time as any to, to bring up YouTube views. Um, so I've been tracking YouTube views, you know, over the, the last couple of months here and, um, the Reigns and Lesnar stuff did really well on YouTube. Um, 
YouTube does. That doesn't mean they generated a lot of money from YouTube. They generated some. But what I'm more interested in is what that indicates about the effectiveness that that's that that program those people are having on the content. Um, if we look at the, the the most popular YouTube views, or I should say the most viewed the, the YouTube videos with the most views over the last seven days, uh, the highlights for WrestleMania Sunday greatly outdo everything. As of this morning, the that highlight for for WrestleMania Sunday has seven point three million views. The next nearest is. Man, the the MVP and almost turn on on Bobby Lashley has 2.9 million views this morning, which means it is now beating uh, the Cody video on Raw and anything that Reigns uh, has done this week so far. So almost watch out some justification for continuing to push almost here, perhaps. Although Bobby Lashley and MVP were involved in that also. Uh, the, the leading AEW highlight on YouTube this week is from Rampage. And it is the the Wheeler Utah and John Moxie highlight with blood and guts and things of that nature. Uh, Samoa Joe, his debut did really well on YouTube also. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's that. Uh, and we can move on to some, some, major coverage of of WWE from from its various partners in fact which i did not even realize that um so cnbc is obviously what's it's what, what's cnbc's parent company comcast nbc universal which is owned by comcast and who owns market watch i did not know this but i'm assuming it's gonna be uh, comcast nbc universal or is it nope. fox it's fox so market okay. watch is owned by the dow jones company which is owned by, well, it's kind of owned by Fox, which is owned by News Corp, which is owned by, what's News Corp owned by? That's um, Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch. Who owns Fox? Um, yes, I was reading a Wikipedia page of all this, all the spinning off that he's he's done over the last 10 years or so. But anyway, uh, we will go to the, the article from Alex Sherman at CNBC first. Um, he... he uh, Respectfully, did not include a a wrestling maneuver in his headline, or his editors did not. So we appreciate that. Um, but uh, t- tell us a little bit, Gullo, about about this article. Did Did you read this in the car last night? First, first of all, uh, I actually decided to read it this morning when I wake up. When I okay. woke up with some coffee and stuff, I decided to read it this morning to be fresh in my mind. Great. Um, but UFC Formula One and WWE could be the next acquisition targets for streaming giants was the headline. So here's from the article in 2016 before United Ultimate, sorry, Ultimate Fighting Championship sold for $4 billion to the company that would become Endeavor Group. The Mixed Martial Arts League was nearly scooped up by Disney for a little bit more. Disney and UFC negotiated broad terms of a deal in which the entertainment giant would acquire the combat sports company for about $4.3 billion, according to people familiar with the matter. Disney, which owns the majority of sports broadcasts network ESPN, has toyed with the idea of buying sports leagues for years. One of the people said, uh, well, I'm sorry, one of the people said, then Di- Disney CEO Bob Iger was the model executive for brilliant intellectual property acquisitions buying Pixar, Lucasfilm, and Marvel. Ultimately, Iger nixed the UFC deal. He felt the bloody and violent UFC brand didn't mesh with the family-friendly Disney, said that people uh, who had not been asked to be named because negotiations were private. A Disney spokesperson didn't immediately comment. So the the, the point is here that Disney could have bought, uh, according to this report, Disney could have bought UFC for $4.3 billion back in 2016. 
obviously UFC got acquired by Endeavor later uh, for roughly that price, I believe. Um, UFC is worth a lot more now. And look at what Disney, that is ESPN, is paying uh, UFC for rights fees. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but tell us more from this article, though. All right. Some more from this article here. Two years later, Disney ZSPN paid $1.5 billion for UFC TV rights in a five-year de- five year deal. Uh, the deal immediately increased the value of UFC to $7 billion, according to UFC CEO Dana White. Disney's ESPN Plus also signed a $150 million per year deal to stream UFC fights in an agreement that runs out in 2025. If ESPN renews UFC rights, Disney will pay much more in licensing fees than the $4.3 billion it would have paid in 2016. Popular sports broadcasting rights continue to rise rapidly as they present unique live viewing opportunities for advertisers and draw relatively large audiences. This calculus has made professional sports entertainment leagues such as UFC, NASCAR, Formula One, and WWE potentially appealing targets for streaming companies as a way to control ever-increasing rates fees for valuable live programming that still commands advertising dollars. So it's like, think about like, you know, you're, uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like buy, buying a house, right? Like why you, you bought a house relatively recently, Gullah, yes. right? You were renting before that, I'm guessing. Yep. And I'm paying less in a mortgage than I was renting. Right. And what else is good about owning rather than renting? Besides, um, besides, I mean, you, you got a deal that's okay. Your, 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 your mortgage and taxes are lower than your rent, but also. Yeah. I mean, you're in control of. Their situation, like I couldn't have a dog and a cat at my apartment. I still did. <laughs> but, and, and if and but yeah. and if you decide to move, unlike yep. when you move from one rented apartment to another, you sell the house. Um, yes, you're you're you you're you're gaining equity here. Um, so what's happening right now is NBC Universal and Fox are renting Raw and SmackDown from WWE. Uh, and the, the, the rental fees are getting higher and higher. Sound familiar? <laughs> the rent is too damn high. And yep. it's going to, it's probably, you know, people have been talking about this, uh, this ratings or this TV rights bubble. It's going to burst and it still hasn't bursted. So, well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and this might be where you're leading on, you know, when we had the episode about is WWE going to sell and all that, that in depth episode we had, I think back in the fall, I want to say it was, um, you did the breakdown and how much money that Comcast, NBC Universal, was paying for the WWE, uh, uh, you know, property that it might make sense for them just to try to buy it. They're paying an average annual value right now. I mean, these these two deals mostly overlap uh, for Raw and for um, Peacock, Peacock. The, Peacock, the the premium live event rights and library rights. So it's two hundred million for the Peacock deal, two hundred sixty five for Raw. I mean, Fox separately is paying 205, but that's $465 million per year. It's almost a half a billion dollars per year that they're paying And they're, they're not, they're not, you know, they're not gaining any equity here. Um, they're also involved with WWE when it comes to NXT and Ms. and Mrs. Probably not huge money relative to Raw and, and the Peacock deal, but that's something. Um, but it's, it's more it's probably all it's, rounded it's a, up to 500. It's a reason to uh, just own this thing because you're already dealing with them additionally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've I believe, and I, I you know, Stephanie told uh, 
analysts and investors. I believe at the, at the September 10 MSG upfront that they did that, um, it would take something like 10 X the market cap. You know, if somebody came to us with a ridiculously high deal, yeah, we would take it. Um, and I, I think that's true. It would have to be a ridiculous deal. Now, what's 10x of W's market cap? That's like $40 billion. Four, yeah, $40 billion, yeah. Um, that's a lot. Um, I think that's what it would take to get it out of Vince's hands. And as long as Vince is alive and healthy, I think they're, that's what's, what they're going to do. Uh, and I think more more questions need to be asked, perhaps on the earnings calls, about what is this company's succession, succession plan? Um, because it's... Lord knows what it is these days with uh, whatever whatever's happening with Paul Levesque. Who's gonna who would take over creative? Uh, would would Nick Khan become the CEO? We don't know. Investors don't know. I'm not an investor, but investors don't know. Um, but it makes sense here, right? I say, say you're NBC Universal because they're they're I guess Fox. This is true for it too. I you know you're you're paying. I don't know what the numbers are, but you're paying a ton for NFL rights. And those are the most valuable rights that there are, right? Biggest ratings that there are. You're paying a ton for sports rights, and that value continues to increase. These fees that you're having to pay continue to increase. There's no end in sight in this fragmented marketplace uh, for content. The most popular content continues to become more and more expensive because there's less and less popular content, I think is a way to put it. But anyway, um, so what can I do? I can't buy the NFL. The NFL is way too expensive, right? I can't buy the NFL. Can't buy the NBA. Major, I can't buy Major League Baseball. Let's see. What's what's the next most popular sports leagues? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if I can buy the Premier League's too popular yeah. worldwide for me to acquire. UFC. Can't buy the NHL. Yeah, sure. I can't, probably can't buy the NHL. I don't know. UFC had a chance to here. The moral of this story is that, oh, Disney, you should have bought UFC when you had the chance. What's next here? Formula One. What's next here? WWE. I, I can afford to buy, well, maybe, based on what the market cap is, at least, I can afford uh, $5 billion in market cap uh, if they're willing to sell it. I mean, I, if, if W sells to NBCU, it's going to be way more than $5 billion. Um, and again, as I just mentioned, maybe it takes $40 billion. Maybe it takes something ridiculous. But I could see this being on the table in 2024 or the you know, latter half of this year, next year, when when these negotiations happen. If I'm NBCU, I just want to buy this company because uh, as Nick Khan kind of talked about, Nick Khan talked about in the, uh, the interview with The Town, uh, with Matt Bellany, uh, hey, look, Universal Studios doesn't have a lot of intellectual property that it can use for its theme parks. But WWE does. Uh, and they can not not rent this content, but own it. A um, lot, of, lot of things, a lot of problems come with owning a wrestling company, uh, including the labor issues that are latent in WWE's business, including independent contractor issue, where, in my view, wrestlers are clearly misclassified as independent contractors. Uh, do you want to be in business? And you're you are in business with Vince, but do you want to do you want to deal deal with Vince to that level where you're overseeing him? Uh, Ken, Vince, what's it like to to oversee Vince? Vince hasn't really had a lot of oversight over the years, uh, which is why I think he would be adverse to to selling it anyway. But anyway, this company's going to exist some someday when Vince isn't around, and uh, who knows when that is. Uh, do you want to be in the wrestling business? Period, though. Forget Vince McMahon. Do you want to be in the wrestling business, which? Well, partly because of Vince McMahon, uh, has had sort of this uh, not not that attractive reputation, despite WWE's grand effort to endear itself to brands. 
still and not the greatest uh not the greatest categorical brand generally anyway um do you want to maybe look at look at the the trouble that turner had trying to oversee wcw uh, that that is, that is the horror story that that you can tell yourself about why you don't want big parent companies to be owning wrestling companies because they don't have any idea how to oversee them uh and and wcw in the late 90s is, is the case for that um so there's that i don't we'll see what happens uh it's it's something that that people love this idea people i don't know it, it, it attracts a lot of attention uh, I think there's something to unpack there into why this just sets alarm bells off in people's heads when we talk about WWE being acquired. I think because it gives this, it gives it gives Vince's incompetence as a creative head some sort of meaning. Uh, the product, in a lot of people's view, especially yours, Chris Gullo, isn't that good. Uh, but oh, see, it's all in the end. It makes sense because it was all about cashing out, and it's all about money, and money makes the world go round. I think it's quite a bit more complicated than that. But anyway, yeah, we'll actually move on to the next article uh, here from Market Watch. Pile driver, pile driver. Vince McMahon's finishing wrestling move is simple financial engineering. This is from John Swartz, uh, WWE CEO who created the modern day wrestling phenomenon increasingly looks like a private equity suit squeezing dollars out of a legacy business through employee layoffs and stock buybacks. Yeah. Uh, this is the first part of the uh, article we'll read from here. Uh, the road to WrestleMania was strewn with record quarterly results and belt tightening that used to come in the dreaded annual spring cleaning of older talent after the big show. Over the past year, however, staff cutbacks came every few months, suggesting a short-term strategy of streamlining operations for a possible sale or a simple boosting of stock price. That at $62.42 a share as of Wednesday's close is 35% below a historic high of $96.73 in June 2018. Lucrative TV deals and streaming arrangement with Comcast Peacock have only increased WWE's reliance on its media business and less on in-person house shows and pay-per-view events. McMahon has directed a lot of the cash generated by WWE to shareholders like himself. Last year, WWE spent $165 million on stock buybacks, re- repurchasing a record 3.3 million shares. Securities filings show... Um, the company also made $36.4 million on dividend payments for as part of a payout program that has been going on for years, with more than a third of the dividend cash going to the McMahon family every year based on their ownership stake. They they made payments. So they just to be clear there, those that's money that they paid to shareholders. Who's the biggest we're gonna talk about this in some detail. Who's the biggest shareholder in WWE? That would be Vincent McMahon. Yeah. Vincent that's, Caleb, uh, man. He owns thirty four percent of thirty. Well, as as of the proxy statement, I'm going to jump ahead here. This is going to turn out to be a pretty long episode. Thirty eight percent of the stock, something like twenty eight million shares. Vince himself uh, make, makes a lot of money, like thirteen point eight million dollars in dividends, uh, based on the number of shares he owns right right now. Um, uh, this this article in, in Market Watch uh, is all about to be. It's quite lengthy. I mean, I, I, I even I am quoted in here. I did I did talk to John Swartz about this. He's been working on this article for a long time. He talks to a lot of people. He Tony Khan has tweeted in here. Tweeted <laughs> more about that later. <laughs> Tony Khan is quoted in here. Um, Scott Demore from Impact Wrestling. Billy Corrigan from the NWA. Uh, Doc Gallows. Tyler Rust. Yeah. Um, 
I know he wanted to focus quite a bit on, you know, the, the talent releases. Meanwhile, WWE's setting profit records here. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, a it's increasingly dependent in making a lot of money from media. So we'll break down the, uh, another part of this here to the outside observer. It would appear that McMahon who created the modern day wrestling promotion is milking a legacy business through a front loaded TV deal and ongoing cutbacks. WWE was able to squeeze out a banner 2021 financial year, despite a decline in virtually every other metric ticket sales, social media engagement, TV ratings, wall street analysts still expected to be to grow revenue and profit roughly 15% a piece in 2022 on average, despite the record breaking performance of 2021, according to facts did you did you read, did I get a chance to read this article, Gala? Yes, yeah, yes, I did. Um, really lots long. of different perspectives. It's 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 very good. Yeah. Um, it kind of tied into the article you were talking before. Like, you know, are they just preparing for a sale? And some people believe they kind of are. Or they're doing the right moves. You know, to are they? I mean, he interviewed some wrestling journalists. He interviewed Scott Demore, Billy Corgan. Uh, we had perspectives from recently released WWE wrestlers. We're now with AEW. Uh, Ruby Soho, Malachi Black, and then also I think right. Shane Thorne was also interviewed in this too. Right, right, right. Uh, and Brandon Ross, the light shit analyst, yep. is, is quoted in here. I'm, I'm quoted as I don't think Vince is going to sell. Uh, some things yeah. I just said a moment ago, basically. Um, well, yeah, it was the same guy. Yes, yeah, <laughs> what you just said. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it was it was a very good perspective of like even with all this declining product, the wrestling business seems to be financially doing well. There's a piece on AEW in there as well. Mm-hmm. How, you know, competition and all that. And Lance Storm but, is, is in here. Brian Alvarez are quoted in here sort of explaining, I guess their, their view on the popularity of WWE or the popularity of wrestling. Um, despite its enormous financial success, which we can see here in the net income, uh, $180 million in net income W reported in 2021. It's most profitable year ever by far adjusted for inflation. Um, meanwhile, as I've shown this slide a number of times, uh, there's a number of indicators, some of them leveling off. And I think uh, it's sort of connected to what I was saying earlier about the optimism coming out of WrestleMania. I think this um, decline in popularity, which is obscured by COVID, right? We've got some years where, where raw ratings suffered worse than cable overall, which we can see here in 2019 and 2020. You'd expect that in 2019, perhaps, because of COVID and the lack of a crowd. Uh, but in 2019, that was the case also. Meanwhile, SmackDown has been helped by being on better and better networks, better time slots over t- over the years. Um, the stagnation of the W Network from 2018 onward, the decline in merchandise revenue from both the venue and e-commerce before the pandemic. Obviously, that the venue merchant went out the window uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the decline in product licensing revenue, which is largely driven by consumer sales of things like action figures, video games, uh, things like that. Uh, the decline in ticket sales, both average worldwide from 2017 consecutively into 2019. Um, we'll see what happens. Obviously, COVID stopped all events for more than a year. Uh, and the decline in web search, both in the US and worldwide. Um, I'm seeing some leveling off of that here. This is a trailing 12-month average, right? So, of course, you know April is usually the high month for WE and web search. Uh, so, there's seasonality to this. So, uh, so we're using for, for the image on the screen here, for, this is Google web search worldwide. Um, we're using a 12-month trailing average. So, it always takes 
that seasonality into consideration. And what we see from, from, you know, late 2016, it's a pretty consistent down into the right trend. That's finally starting to, to, to meet, to meet some flat ground, uh, in the last few months, uh, to be clear, WWE is by far the leader in the wrestling space for this metric, web search. But even if you were to say, well, now maybe, maybe all web search is down, just like all TV is down. Well, the NFL's been on a really healthy trend with a big hole in the middle from COVID. Likewise for the NWA, the NWA, the NBA. Likewise for uh, for baseball, although baseball's pretty flat here uh, from before and after the pandemic. Uh, this is all up to date as of March, by the way. Um, meanwhile, UFC over this time has surpassed WWE. Premier League has surpassed WWE. This is in the US. Um, and NASCAR uh, has declined over the years, sort of flattening out. Uh, Formula One about to pass NASCAR, drive to survive. Uh, so wow. there's there's that. And why is this happening, Chris Cole? Uh I mean... Why did it's, why did this happen? We might might be able to put it in the past tense, but go ahead. I I mean I think it's just like the popularity and products way it's marketed. Like okay, so for example, like I mean the the growth of you know soccer, you know, uh, and the growth of Formula One, like you said, drive to survive, and it's it's engaging new. It's hard to explain, but they're actually doing things to get new audiences. Is WWE doing that, or are they just doing things to keep the same audience they have? It's, it's not that hard to explain, Go. It's not complicated. We overcomplicate this stuff. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody who's trying to understand the wrestling business the other day, and I like, you know, I, I and after after I was done talking to that person, I was like, it's 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 very simple. It's just the content. The product is, is not good. It's not good. Some people like it. A lot a lot of people didn't though, and they don't watch it anymore. Uh, and I think uh, what, what do you what do you call this? This is like when you when you have an acronym that spells out a bunch of different words. What do you call that? I honestly don't know. It's not a quiz. <laughs> I think it's just an acronym. <laughs> but I think there's a good, a good way to remember it is W is there's a limit to W's popularity and it's, it's, you can't say why it, but it's because of Vince McMahon uh, and, and his, his performance as head of creative. Now things that he does in his, his role as CEO other than, than head of creative he seems to be doing a, a solid job of uh, he hired Nick Khan and he identified that, Maybe it's not a good idea to do this premium tier of the network. Maybe it's a better idea to sell it, license it. Um, but W, when it comes to their content, content's not been good. You know, uh, I was listening to the, the Light Shed podcast the other day. They had a new episode where they have a lot of discussion about WrestleMania, uh, about a lot of discussion about WWE. Um, you know, and, and Rich Greenfield mentions how you know, well, if they were acquired by say Disney, man, Disney's so great creatively. They've done such a great, great you know, job with their content over the, the generations, man, D- Disney would have so much creative power. They would be able to support Vince. And I think it's, it's like the, the problem is Vince, you, you no matter how much magic Disney magic or whatever you put around him, it, ultimately he's going to control creative. Uh, he's not going to make it, not going to make a deal where he doesn't. And um, it's going to be limited uh, because of his inability to make long-term plans and stick to them. The rampant inauthenticity in this product uh, both from a language standpoint, from a production standpoint, constant camera cuts, constant zooming, his, his misvaluation of talent. He thinks that wrestlers should be tall and big, and he doesn't evaluate other possibilities for talent uh, who could be pushed. Uh, the style of the content, in- including the way that it's, and you know, people like 
Matt Riddle, uh, people like Seth Rollins, who could be bigger stars uh, if they were presented differently, their importance and ultimately their star power and their ability to drive revenues is undermined by the way that those characters are presented. I remember, you know, Moxley saying in an interview, you know, Vince, Vince found out that I had a shred of comedic timing and then it was all downhill from there. Uh, and just repetitive booking of matches, too many rematches. So that's happening. But as long as this content, Raw and SmackDown continue to be highly ranked, which they are, WWE is going to continue to be, Raw and SmackDown are going to continue to be very valuable properties that are going to obfuscate any WWE haters like you, Chris Gullo, who just can't stand the content. It's going to make money anyway, because it's still popular enough to be this highly ranked. Oh, so well, I, you know, I think a lot of it too is, you know, it is still unique product compared to what's out there. A lot of television is repetitive, like, you know, the same reality scenario, just in different city cities, like, yeah, here's real housewives of this city and that city and this city and that city. And just, you know, how many spinoffs can you do of the real world and all that? I mean, these are programs that still do well, but like at least there would be a unique product and it has a audience that grew up with it, but yeah. they just don't grow the audience that. And then I think that's, I, the, why don't that's they grow the, the audience? Issue. They don't want to, they don't want to grow the audience, right? Is that it? I think they want to grow the audience, oh. but they just don't think they know how to captivate people. I mean, you know, we hear like, where did all those wrestling fans go? And, you know, we'll kind of briefly talk about the, Tony Khan, uh, ESPN.com article, he, he talked about the lapsed fan. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that, that, that went away, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it, it, that lapsed fan thing. We kind of talked about that last week with, with Jesse is how people who I, I view as basically lapsed fans like Bill Simmons, um, maybe Ariel Hawani to an extent, people who maybe don't watch the, the content, maybe Ariel does, but a, a lot of people in media who have a lot of influence in media, they grew up, they're, they're similar in age to us or maybe a little bit older and they, they grew up, you know, I, I would say I grew up really on wrestling in the, in the early nineties, but obviously wrestling's peak, uh, in sort of the, the Hogan era is about 87, the WrestleMania three year. Uh, so a little bit older than, than us, uh, these are people sort of in their early forties or so, and they're, they're becoming old enough to get into the, their more influential positions in their jobs. And these, you know, we're getting to the point now where people in their forties are, are getting more editorial positions and more positions of power and influence. And these are people who grew up as wrestling fans, uh, as children, and now they're, they're adults. Um, so we're seeing more serious, well, serious is not the right word, but we're seeing more coverage and more acknowledgement of wrestling in media broadly. Uh, so that's happening. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's brought into media publications that would not give it any attention in previous generations. Like, like the, the, the Bryant Gumble generation would apologize for even having to, to talk about wrestling. Uh, but anyway. But now the question goes to, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make this episode longer than it's going to be, but now the question goes to is, is trying to get the lapse fan. Is there too much exhausted efforts on that? Are you trying to get the create new fans that never had any intention to like wrestling? Cause like, I mean, they doubled down. I'm letting you know, Steve Austin was going to be at that WrestleMania. But this, this, I guess this, that's this, to- the root problem is the content sucks. 
All right. And it doesn't appeal to a wide portion of people who it would otherwise appeal to if it didn't suck. So what we have to fall back on is people who are stars 20 years ago. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a symptom of a problem. It's not a, it's not a strategy. Do you think it's a fear too? Like if they try to, if they put reins out there too much, like they did Cena, he'll just leave him for Hollywood. No. I, so I was, I was thinking about this walking through the grocery store last night, this, and I've, I've ranted about this previously. So I'll try to keep this tight. Like the idea that W doesn't want to make stars is, is such overcomplication and, and, and a mental gymnastics to try to uh, apply some, you know, to try to translate into genius incompetence as a head of creative. It's not, oh, it all makes sense in the end. No, he's, he's just bad at being the head of creative. Company makes less money because of it, but it doesn't matter because the TV rights fees are so awesome and are growing in value. And he's not doing such a bad job that these numbers that are, you know, putting SmackDown as, as the number two show on, on, on cable, cable and broadcast primetime, you know, still SmackDown number two, Raw in the top 10 on, on their day. He's not doing such a bad job that he's running the, that he's running this number into becoming a higher rank, a lower rank, I should say. It's still highly ranked enough, so he's not. He could be doing a worse job for sure. Uh, we saw what happened with Impact. Impact probably TNA total nonstop action probably did a worse job. Granted, they didn't have a massive legacy behind them, and they didn't have the perception of being the major league in this form of entertainment. But W does, and they want to create stars. But there's a lot of ego and uh, self fulfilling prophecy that's happening here that's preventing it. But they have the biggest star in wrestling is Roman Reigns, and there's there's despite all these problems that I'm ranting about, they're still producing pretty strong stars and strong enough to keep these rankings very high. And as long as that's the case, those TV rights fees are not going to get any lower. All right. We'll move on here. We, uh, you just have a, uh, a thing from Cage Match about the most uh, matches over uh, WrestleMania weekend. And uh, actually, so the uh, show I was on with Gringo Loco was not listed here. So you could put him under his six matches. Um, so he would be tied with Blake Christian for third place. We have Mike Bailey with nine matches. What, what match? Is, what show is not listed here? This is Manley's not listed on there. Is that maybe the freelance? No, because... I, the wrestling because there's other people listed on there that weren't on that show like Davy Richards and unless I mean maybe he's he's got a freelance and I'm not talking about like the Chicago freelance no but but yeah so maybe all non shows freelance and maybe right because if, if if Cage Match has uh, an event that it, like it doesn't know who the promoter is or it's it's like a, a, a one time promotion it just throws it into this freelance in the okay. USA bucket. Uh, so then that makes a miscellaneous. It might, who, but it, this may not be complete before before yeah. in, indie wrestlers start quote tweeting and saying, you know, and they're not gonna. Yeah. But you know, you know what I mean. And, and everybody wants 100 percent credit. Uh, understandably, Cage Match uh, is not a complete record of uh, all wrestling events. But I think this has uh, this definitely has most of them. I think it has almost all of them. Um, yeah. Anyway, Speedball Mike Bailey had nine matches according to this. From from Tuesday, and I don't think there were any events on Tuesday, but from Tuesday to Sunday afternoon, uh, Mike Bailey had nine matches, which is more than anybody else. Uh, Janai Kai had seven. Blake Christian had six. Shaz McKenzie had five. I know she tweeted that she had six, so maybe this is missing 
at least one event. Um, Dave Richards has five. Gringo Loco has five. Minoru Suzuki, Billy Starks, Black Taurus, Hoodfoot, Kita Murray, and Jack Cartwheel and Slade all at five. Um, a lot, a lot of names I'm not familiar with here. And I, but I think this is a good indicator if like you're thinking about who's coming up on the Indies, you know, who's maybe going to become a prospect for one of these bigger companies. This is a, I think this is a really, you know, an insightful, I'll say recruiting tool, but yeah, talent evaluation tool. Uh, any, any, that next generation of super Indies stars, Indie darlings. Yes. Yeah. Um, and any, uh, any, any memories about Minoru Suzuki from the week that you'd like to share? I, I just remember being backstage at the collective and he was uh, trying to drink energy drinks at two 30 in the morning. And he was actually, I didn't go this far, but he was stopped by Russell. I was like, no, no, two 30 is not good for, for a bang energy drink at two 30 in the morning. Okay. So, so the rest was like, Oh, not a good idea. But yeah. Minoru Suzuki, the man's a machine. It was great seeing him wrestle live. I've never seen it before. It was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now at that one hour, 13 minute mark, this will be truncated in silence. So it'll actually be less than that for people listening on the podcast. The WWE proxy statement came out Friday. Things like this have to come out on Friday. So, so the market, I mean, it's not like it's going to do anything to the stock price, but there's, you know, they, they put things like this out on Friday just after the close of the market, just in case. Right. Uh, what's it, what's a proxy statement. Do you know, Chris Gullo? Well, a uh, proxy statement here and it will break down is it's a document containing the information the Securities and Exchange Commission require companies to provide to shareholders so they can make informed decisions about matters that will be brought up to at an annual or special stockholder meeting. And that's from investopedia.com. Thank you. What, 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 is that? what does that mean in plain English? Do you have any, do you have any sense uh, of what a proxy statement is? It, I think it's a, it, it's a broad financial statement. Uh, do as far as salaries uh, for, you know, employees and, you know, where a company is financially at uh, in a broad statement, it doesn't go into a ton of specifics, but it's a document that W puts out every year. And that, I, I mean, any publicly traded company, I believe puts out every year um, always comes out around this time. Uh, it's, it's, it's coming out ahead of their annual shareholders meeting, which is different from the earnings report. That is not an earnings report. There's a stockholder meeting that will happen believe in may or something like that um so that will happen they put out this this is information you may want to know before you vote as a shareholder and uh the shareholder meaning votes are a moot point they are a symbolic gesture because why because Vince McMahon controls 80 percent of the votes <laughs> so whatever he says goes um so what, what did we learn from this? Uh, we, we learned certain things every year, uh, including, let's just look at this image right here. Uh, we, we learned what the top five most compensated executives got paid every year. And uh, I'm sure in accordance with SEC rules, uh, Frank Riddick has been the CFO, the permanent CFO of this company. He's previously the interim uh, before Christina Salen came on. Now Christina Salen has been relieved of her duties in November. Frank Riddick has been the permanent CFO for roughly two months out of the, out of the year of 2021. So this is 2021 calendar year compensation. He got a pretty big sign-on bonus though, which included a lot of stock equity. $6.6 million, even though he worked for the company for only two months in the, in the year as a full-timer. He, he, I'm sure he was also compensated for being on the board. He's no longer on the board, but uh, $6.6 million in 2021, more, more than the runner up here. Nick Khan with only 5.7 million, lots of bonus money involved there. I think he's getting another tranche of, of bonus equity coming up in September. 
which was increased because the board thinks he's doing such a great job, I guess. Um, Vince McMahon, $5.1 million. That doesn't include his dividends, which would add an additional $13.8 million, which would be what? $18.9 million Vince McMahon is taking away from WWE. Um, taking away, I'm maybe getting paid, you know, don't, don't at me, Vince. Don't send your bots at me. Uh, Paul Levesque, executive vice president, $2.8 million. That includes his pay as a performer, which is, I believe, just over yeah. a million. Christine, uh, excuse me, Stephanie McMahon, $2.6 million. She also is paid as a performer. She has a downside of, of, something like $700,000, which is similar to her salary as an executive. Christina Salen was paid $2.2 million. Uh, Shane McMahon, his pay is disclosed. Shane McMahon's an executive of this company, right? Shane, Shane's a, Shane's an executive. No, it has to be disclosed as a family member. Oh, you're, you're so good. But he's a stockholder though, right? No. No. Sold the stocks in, didn't he steal stocks in 2009? He cashed out by 2014, I believe. Like in 13, okay. he still had a lot. So not, 2009, I think he left as an executive. Right. 2014, yeah, okay, correct. And the median W employee made so not the average, right? The average would be skewed because there's probably a lot of people on the high end that are making a lot of money. Uh, but 118 thousand dollars is what the median employee is paid at WWE. I do get the impression that WWE pays relatively well, um, but of course that's a, that's a fraction of what the high-end executives are making, uh, which is uh, which is America. Um, so we have a new member of the board of directors. Uh, I, I will. I hope I will be pronouncing his name correctly. Ign- Ignace Loud, who is uh, he's he's he is. I've never seen his name before today, uh, and I am also noticing that Lorraine Ong, who has long been an independent member of the board of directors. Her name is no longer listed. So it seems that he has taken a spot that was vacated by Lori Nong, uh, which is this is normal that there's turnover in the board. Um, but he is the CEO of Majid El Fatam, which is a leisure entertainment and cinemas, privately held shopping mall company. That's what it sounds like. Um, there may be people listening who, who know better what that company is. Um, so... He is a new independent member of the board of directors. Uh, the current members of the board of directors are the chairman, Vince. Nick Khan is a member. Stephanie is a member. Paul Levesque is a member. They are obviously full-time employees for WWE. And then there are independent directors, uh, independent directors who are not full-time W employees. And they're there to... Uh, look out for the interests of the shareholders, and they're there to um, do do things like determine how much these executives should be paid uh, independently of people who are gonna, so they're not paying themselves in essence. Uh, and the, the independent members of the board of directors are Steve Coonan. Tell me something about Steve Coonan, Gola. Well, uh, Steve Coonan used to be uh, involved with uh, Time Warner. I mean, he's yes. currently Atlanta Hawks State Farm CEO, but he was a Time Warner executive. Yes, he's a member that's independently overseeing the board. Um, Ignace, or is it Ignace? Maybe it's Ignace. Laud, he's he's a new member we just discussed. Erica Nardini is a member. She's been a member for a while. Tell me something about Erica Nardini. CEO of Barstool Sports, which is, I mean, probably one of the fastest growing sports media properties in the last decade. Steve Payman, 
an independent member. You tell me something about Steve Payman. Uh, Parkwood, Inter- former Parkwood Entertainment and COO. Oh, you, got a, you, you have a cheat sheet out, don't you? Uh, yes. But, uh, he's one I don't know much about personally, but some of the other ones, I, I kind of know some fun facts. Anyway, and then we have Alan Wexler, who's General Motors, Senior Vice President of Innovation and Growth. Manjit Singh, who is interestingly marked as the lead independent director. This is not something that we've seen in previous filings. Uh, he is the lead independent director. So maybe he has some sort of, I mean, he, he, is, he is the chair of the human capital committee anyway manjit singh is the for- former uh sony pictures president uh and connor shell connor shell who formerly did stuff with espn 30 for 30 series i believe he is now the churin entertainment ceo uh and jeffrey speed former six flags executive vice executive vice president and cfo uh okay there's that that's how much they make uh they say shane mcmahon makes 1.3 million dollars as a performer in 2021, 1.3 million. That's up from 820,000 he made in 2020. How many matches did Shane McMahon have in 2021? Uh, one. One. Yep. <laughs> and he said one in 2022. Yes. He had what last uh, in 2021, he wrestled Braun Strowman in a cage at WrestleMania. That was his only match. I mean, a lot of this is downside guarantee, right? But it's good, good to be Shane, I guess, sometimes. Uh, Let's see here. With the performer pay, do you do you see Triple H is changing, or it would just be as like how Stephanie is? I don't think, yeah, yeah. I thought about that, but like obviously he's, he's probably never going to wrestle again. Probably never, probably never going to have a match. But he's still yep. going to like probably do stuff and come out sometimes, and that's what Stephanie does. So I don't see it being any different from Stephanie. Maybe he'll get a lower downside, but yeah, he's still going to get a downside. I think. Uh, interesting, by the way. We can point out the generosity of Vincent Mann here. Vincent Mann does not pay himself a talent guarantee, even though he does appear on television, you know, in, in, in the in-ring content, especially lately. He's been, been doing that yeah. more than more than he has in a long time lately. Um, although I, what we're talking about is compensation related to 2021. Those segments, I want to say, are those segments with Austin Theory, and obviously he appeared on WrestleMania. Uh, that's all in 2022. I don't think those were those backstage segments happening in 2021 yet. The egg was 2021. True, wasn't yeah. it? True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had the egg, and I think that would have been his only uh, right. appearance. Well, over the egg point stuff. is, Vince is not paying himself as as a promoter, as a promoter, as a performer. He's only paying himself as a promoter. He's not a prom- promoter. Damn it, he's a businessman. Um, so that that's the proxy statement. We also get an update of ownership. Lincel Train, the UK financial firm, continues to be WWE's largest financial stakeholder. Um, Stephanie and Linda's shares have not changed. Vince's shares have not changed. Um, there's a there's a new uh, shareholder, uh, uh, institutional shareholder, America Century Investments, that holds three point three percent of the stock in in my if my math is correct. Um, now there's a difference though, between shareholders percentage of shares in the company that you hold and the voting power that you hold. Why would that be? And then it only pertains to McMahon family members for some reason. Why is that? Um, it, 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 because hmm, yeah. Um, well, isn't it like where you have to, hmm, yeah, the, yeah. Explain that to me, Brandon. Okay. I, I feel like I had a okay. thought in my head, but it escaped. Okay. In 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 WB, and this is not just like a oh my god, it's WB thing. 
this is the same, same for Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. Same thing for the founders at Google. They have two classes of shareholders. Oh, yep. The class B, yep. Class B shares and class A shares. Yep. Right. Yes. So class B shares are, can only be held by McMahon family members. And when I say McMahon family members, I mean no descendants, I mean descendants of Vince and Linda. So, uh, Class B shares are have the same value, same monetary value as Class A shares, but they have 10 times the voting power. So Mark Zuckerberg and Vince McMahon can hold a relatively small minority of the shares in the company, but still control the company because of preferred class of shares. In this case, we call them Class B shares. Um so Paul Levesque cannot own Class B shares. If Vince McMahon liquidates, which sometimes he has, same with Stephanie. Linda's, Linda has held the same number of shares for a long, long time. But they, if they sold their shares, they automatically become Class A shares. They can transfer them to one another, which they have. That's how Stephanie came to hold Class B shares. Uh, Shane held Class B shares, but he has since liquidated all of his stock. Um, Stephanie and Shane were gifted a large amount of stock an equal number on two occasions, I believe. Anyway, um, yeah. I, I, I suppose, theoretically, uh, the children of Stephanie and Shane could hold Class B shares. I don't know that that will ever happen, but that could happen. Declan, by the way, Shane's son, yep. Declan. Has, He's has, getting ready for the NLE program. And NIL, NIL. Or NIL, NIL, yeah, yeah, he is. What is he? He's committed to Indiana University as a baseball player. Yeah. No football. Football. Excuse me. Yeah. So yeah, he's. he's is, is it too early to sign him up for the NIL? Who knows? Um, so there's that. That's that's the proxy statement. I think that's all that was. Uh, all that was that interesting. The proxy statement. I there's a a, a report I wrote up on the Patreon. If you're interested in more, uh, you can obviously read the proxy statement yourself. Anyone can. Um, there's that. All right, and we're going to finish the show here with some Tony Khan conversation yeah, so from Vince World now on to Tony World, which is which is appropriate. We, you can't just say AEW; it's it's Tony World. It's yeah, Tony it's World, Ring of Honor. Uh, so, an interesting uh, tweet came out on April eighth from Tony Khan. He said, Friday. "An independent study has confirmed that much of the staunch a- anti AEW online community aren't real individuals. It's a staff running thousands of accounts and an army of bots to single boost them. Look closely. These aren't real people who pay for such a wildly expensive thing. Uh, he added on to that, uh, Research this one yourselves. You, you internet detectives thrive in these situations. Speaking of wild changes, you don't want to miss John Moxley versus Wheeler. you on AW rampage at 10 o'clock. Uh, and on TNT tonight, their uh, boiler room staff is going to be working overtime on a Friday, and I love it. Um, okay, so yes, these go things ahead. usually oh, come out on Fridays. By the way, these interesting tweets. Yeah, why, you know, why do you why do you think that is? I mean, obviously, he's trying to pump up Rampage because uh, he always plugs in because we've had the whole I'm the you know the only con the the, the, the matters in wrestling or you know and all yes. that uh, when it came to the New Japan yes. talk. This is. The things like that, and um, I don't know how calculated it was, but the his his tweet responding to Big Swole saying that we really let her go because she wasn't a good enough wrestler, which inc- I believe it that tweet itself had a hashtag AW Rampage. These all, I'm sure, in in his mind are are justifying this. We're promoting the show, and 
yes, there'll be some attention to this, but let's, let's, let's try to flow that into promoting the show. Um, so what is Tony Khan saying here? So he's basically, is, is, is there, is there a, a, a conspiracy? <laughs> I see what you did there. Basically saying that, you know, the, obviously there's a lot of anti WB tweets or anti AW tweets, yeah. it's anti-AW, but there's, yeah, but there's a lot of anti AW tweets, uh, on social media, Twitter and, you know, Facebook and I'm sure Instagram. Uh, and he doesn't believe that that is a single company doing the majority of that from this study. He ends this tweet saying, who'd pay for such a wildly expensive thing? Um, my reading is that he's strongly implying that WWE is behind a social media bot campaign against WWE. Um, I've asked WWE if they have any, if they could say if there's any, any credibility to this. I've, I've not heard back yet, though. Um, yeah. Um, hard to say. Um, is it just paranoia? Sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I've, I've entertained this possibility before Friday when he tweeted this, I've thought about this and there's the, there's the new story, um, about Facebook hiring, uh, a firm to, to smear TikTok. There's that report from the Washington post from yep. a couple of weeks ago. So it's not like these things don't happen. <laughs> I believe these things happen. There's clearly bots a, afoot. On, on Twitter. I think this something related to this happened in the 2016 election or something like that. Right. I think I've heard about that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I have been suspicious of some activity. I mean, I've, I've taught myself to, to stop reading any of it, but I've been suspicious of some activity that's been on, on my tweets. So I don't know. Uh, any, any, any other thoughts on that? So, I mean, could there be yes could could i mean it's it's very feasible but i think he is underestimating how many wwe fan loyalists there are out there that would just make it their sole purpose to just bash AEW. <laughs> or, 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 <laughs> or are you being fooled by bots chris call i i mean i could be but these are you look at some of these people and yeah some people they just have a picture of becky lynch in their profile pic and all that but then some people are the real people see i I see it on Facebook too, right? When we post articles, see what I do is I share WrestleNomics articles and WrestleNomics clips in various pro wrestling Facebook groups that are, you know, and these are Facebook. Yes, you can have fake Facebook profiles, but it's very minimal compared to Twitter. Yeah. And these are people, if you look at their pictures, they they've had a long history of just being a real human being on Facebook, but they're just so like, you know, Oh, this is pro AEW WWE. I feel like so I have a lot of. You know. I feel like I have a lot of fake Facebook people who request to be friends <laughs> with me. Like I, I definitely do. It's it's usually like an attractive woman or something, and then you like you look at this profile and it's got yeah, nothing yeah. but spam in the feed or something. But yeah, um, but I've 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 looked at some things like somebody like tweeting something n- like negative at me and then i like look at their profile and they have like zero followers the account was started two two months ago they have no profile picture they have no like tweets of their own they only have replies where they're harassing people (laughs) so it's either like somebody's burner account just to just to mess with people or it's part of some larger operation i don't know yeah Mm. He, he, uh, if we go to wrestling inc uh so we'll wrestling inc, just to follow up uh, before you read yeah wrestling inc uh tony khan made some comments about this on the record to wrestling inc this the same day on friday 
Shortly after writing a story on his tweets, wrestling, he reached out to Tony Khan for clarification on his tweet. Khan responded by giving examples to illustrate what he says his expert confirmed during their investigation. Waiting for final study, but here's what my expert confirmed. Khan responded, it's a, it's people with real live accounts making posts and then using their bots to manipulate the social channel algorithm by backing them up with engagement from a made-up Twitter identity. Social media teams will often fight on this. Bots are great for numbers, and when they're gone, you'll see a dip in digital conversation impressions. Both those were either negative sentiment or not real anyways. For example, I tweet, Mega only eats rotten bananas. Uh, I throw, say, 18 bots behind it, which takes about five minutes to do. Twitter security can't differentiate when done well, neither can most social teams. Why the is he using becomes, Mega as 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 the example person here? Well, I mean that that that's you know his uh I, I don't her exact title, but she's she, a, basically a she she's their she's their big time lawyer for the Jaguars yeah. and, a, okay. and AEW. Yeah, Mega Perrick, if I'm pronouncing that she's right. Executive AEW, if you can use the word executive, with a sure. non public sure. company, but sure. um. Yeah. But yeah, the the problem becomes every time people type Mega into a search bar because of real accounts supported by bots, the first suggested result will be tweets about Mega eating rotten bananas. I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the five cent version of what's happening. Yeah, I I, I will say this 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 by all the indications, this is a self commissioned study. Although he, he phrases it as an independent study, so I guess it's independent because it wasn't done by an AW employee. Or someone who he directly employs, but he appears to be contracting a person to do a study to see whether or not his suspicions are confirmed. Um, you know, it reminds me of the WrestleMania economic impact studies, where you know these, I guess, like local governments or whatever, they they commission a study, or maybe it's WWE that does it. I don't know to to say how mu- how much does the local region benefit financially and economically from the presence of WrestleMania or the Super Bowl. Um, and lo and behold, they, f- they find out that the results are, are, are great as you expected. Uh, so it's just something to keep in mind when it comes to self-commissioned study, you know, studies that are commissioned by people who uh, already have uh, a belief one thing to, 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 to note here. And it, it, it's, you know, it might just be pure excitement of, of, of Tony Khan's personality, but impulsive at times, even in this quote to wrestling, and he says that the final study isn't out. We saw that a few weeks before the Ring of Honor stuff where he kind of kept teasing an announcement and they kept pushing it off because he couldn't officially announce it because probably the sale wasn't officially finalized. But I've noticed that he gets so excited that he, he will discuss things on social media before they're really finalized. Yes. You say Tony Khan might be a little bit impulsive on Twitter. <laughs> just just a little um and then uh we got a little bit of a mocking of this tweet i don't know if you showed that from becky lynch <laughs> nothing much to go into there but Be- becky lynch tweeted uh later that day an independent study confirmed you should do this in an irish accent an independent study confirmed that much of the staunch anti-becky in arena booers aren't real individuals it's a staff running thousands of ai an army of bots look closely look closely these aren't real people who'd pay for such a wildly expensive thing. She puts wildly in quotes. Did he put wildly? He did. You know, he, uh, he asterisked it though. Anyway, uh, Tony Khan had a, uh, interview with Mark Romandi from ESPN from ESPN, where he uh, talked about some things related to ring of honor. Um, I, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the question. Why 
is Ring of Honor a separately a, a separate entity? Why why was it Tony Khan who bought Ring of Honor and not AEW? Uh, I don't know that we get an answer to that in this interview, but we get some things that are, are close to that subject. Yeah. Um, just a, oh, go ahead. All right. Uh, just a quote here. Uh, see, I did utilize some resources from AEW with permission from Warner with the understanding from them that I was not going to make this an AEW show. It would be a Ring of Honor show. I was asking to utilize some AEW resources to make this a great pay-per-view. Um, so he's with talking that about said, Super Card of Honor, which happened on yes. two Fridays ago. And I was kind of wondering what that was. Is that maybe Warner Media production trucks? Like, Yeah, not clear. Yeah. Um, but then here's uh we'll go into this part too. Uh, uh, is ring of honor going to be weekly television? What will the pay-per-view frequency and con responded? Warner media was really cool about me doing Supercard of honor. I think there's greater potential in continuing ring of honor as a weekly series. Next Stop. question was, so, so he oh. wants ring of honor to be a weekly TV show. That's, I don't think he's saying that publicly unless that is his intent. This is a, this is a question that I think a lot of people have on their mind. So what's Ring of Honor going to be? Is it going to be something that just like runs monthly pay-per-view events? Is it going to be something that only runs occasionally? Is it going to be a, just a development? Is it going to take the place of, uh, of one of the, one of the AEW dark YouTube shows? Uh, he wants a separate TV series. And I believe he said that before too. It okay. might've been the media scrum. Sure. Uh, might've been. Yeah. After revolution, but yeah. Uh, and then uh, would you have to be on Warner contractually? Because I was under the impression that you owned Ring of Honor separately from AEW. Stop. Um, okay. Let's, 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 uh, a good question. Um, yeah. why, why, uh, I've, I've wondered at times, does, does Warner Media have a stake in AEW? Is there, or, and, or is there some sort of exclusivity agreement? But, between AEW and Warner Media, so that AEW content can only be on linear platforms or streaming platforms, maybe even that are owned by Warner Media. Maybe Discovery gets roped into that soon because the, the merger was just completed. Um, is that is that a factor here in why uh, Ring of Honor was acquired by an entity wholly owned by Tony Khan rather than AEW LLC? So go ahead. Now here's Tony Khan's response. I do own it as a separate entity from AEW, but I also have a TV contract with Warner that I'm going to produce wrestling shows for them. I've been having these conversations with Warner because I think it would make sense for everyone. And I'm, and I think they're open to it, but in the short timeline we've had, what I've asked basically was an exemption in being outside the portfolio. So, so like any clever executive, he has responded to a yes or no question with a long paragraph <laughs> where he says neither yes or no, but it sounds like it, he doesn't say no. And he only talks about Warner media here. So it sounds like he's, he wants, he wants a weekly TV show with something in the Warner media world. What, what, yeah, what, what I, does that leave on the table then? If it's a linear TV show. Okay. Well, yeah, whatever TNT, TBS, true TV, whatever else they own. Maybe just, I don't know if discoveries part of this, possible uh selection networks or not um maybe hbo max I, I don't know i think true tv would make a lot of sense in the linear aspect of things they don't have a lot of marquee programming does that does ring of honor i don't know too much about true tv is, is true tv is like it's, true crime stuff uh, yeah at this point they mostly play like a practical jokers I, I know they just uh simulcast all of the march madness well a lot of the march madness on true tv uh but I get the, the question would be, do, does wrestling fit with what with what 
the Warner Media people envision for True TV. Um, but I know True, True TV, TBS, and TNT are are my impression is that they they are under one umbrella in terms of some of the management personnel. True TV is not so much true crime that it's more reality based. I mean, Impractical Jokers is probably their marquee program, and they'll have like stuff uh, like the Carbonara Effect. I don't even know if it's still on there, and you know, Adam hates everything was a show on there and just more reality factual based. But at this point, no networks really stick to their name and what their genre is. It's just really what they can get programming. Are for you telling me that music. MTV doesn't play music anymore? <laughs> the learning channel isn't all about learning. It's a shame. Exactly. Food network. They're sticking to their guns at least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, then finally to discuss whether a ring of honor is developmental. Yep. Do you see Ring of Honor being developmental or create some kind of integration between Ring of Honor and AEW? I've been having more conversations with Warner Media about what we can do together to grow Ring of Honor. I think it would make sense for Ring of Honor to continue as a weekly series and major events like we just had with Supercard. I think the success of Supercard, critically and commercially, will bode very well for Warner Media really taking an interest in Ring of Honor as well as AEW. I think it, there's great potential to have a complementary wrestling brand. That, that, that response, that sounds like that. That is a response that is intended for an audience that it, that is not necessarily you or me or, or the average reader of, of this article. That that sounds like a response that is intended for Warner Media. Uh, he's making a sales pitch there. Um, so that's that's what so- it sounds like is on the table that they're discussing or he's he's pitching to them that he wants a Ring of Honor TV show somewhere in Warner Media's world of networks or streaming platforms even and it seems like it won't just be a separate branding aspect of talent and i think that's what he's probably pitching to warner media that you'll see samoa joe and probably brian danielson and and others kind of go between both brands yeah lord knows they have enough talent um (laughs) okay i think that another did want to bring up one other conversation that we didn't yes. talk about this week is that new Japan world will start airing dynamite and rampage. There is no date for the start date for what? that. Where's this? Oh, source. Yeah. Oh source. yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, it was all over the media sites, but this is uh from two days ago here. This is kind of the quick recap from John Pollock on April 8th, uh, new Japan world has announced that AW diamond rampage are coming to the streaming service for those in Japan. So just Japan, the announcement was, was only made, Japan. Uh, only Japan. Okay. Uh, the announcer was made that the programs will be added weekly with a live Japanese version of the show also in the works. Okay. Uh, no launch day for shows. So it's a, a way for people in Japan to watch AEW who probably don't have an easy, well, maybe they do, maybe they can do fight. I would imagine they could do fight since that's, I think, everywhere internationally. Okay. Now, my question on this is we've talked about this library that that Tony Khan is putting together. Could there be a shared library agreement where whoever he sell, like if he sells the library to say to discovery plus, would he be able to put new Japan stuff on there? When you say sell, you mean license, right? License. Yeah. I should say license. Yes. Would he, would he be, would he be able to sort of like, did he make an agreement in Japan to be able to put some of that stuff in any type of licensing agreement he makes? Maybe. I mean, it's probably not a done deal if that's something that in that direction is the case, but maybe, yeah. If it's the case, it's a good move because now you got AEW's library, you got Ring of Honor's library. He could have a shared library agreement with New Japan. He probably can make a shared library agreement with Impact. Question is, like, would that, <laughs> would, it, would any of that infringe on whatever, on the, on the deal that New Japan has made with R- Roku? 
I would think that yeah. Roku, Roku has some sort of exclusivity to some sort of New Japan content. Maybe, that uh, maybe, true. maybe not though. But they definitely have rights to to what they're putting on Roku, which I don't know that anybody watches, but but it's there. Um, okay, I think that's all for this week. Uh, if you hit thumbs up, we really appreciate that. Uh, share, subscribe on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe in your your podcast app if you haven't already. Uh, the WrestleNomics Patreon, as I mentioned, has a report about what's in the proxy statement. Uh, it has some Google Trends reports that have come out lately. Uh, I'm continuing, as always, to work on uh, Python things. My, my project this week was I'm trying to figure out how to do animated charts, charts that will move. Anyway, uh, you also get my TV ratings reports that are up nearly every day. I've been reporting quarter hours. and You get access to the data. The big spreadsheet, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Gullo, what do you have? Uh, you can just check me out, Chris Gullo, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. We're RTI Pod now, rediscovering these on Twitter and Instagram. I was able to change it on uh, Instagram, uh, still rediscovering the indies on uh, Facebook. But uh, yeah, we're uh, if you want to catch up on previous episodes, we've been already done two parts on the promoting career of Burt Prentice. And we have part three coming out later this month here. Uh, we, the last part, we just really broke down Ozark mountain wrestling uh, and the f- few years he had that. And we're going to get into music city wrestling and NWA worldwide uh, and more in this episode three. And we'll touch on how TNA killed the Nashville independent wrestling market. Right. Okay. That uh, th- thanks as always to our, uh, podcast distribution partners post wrestling for helping distribute uh wrestlomics radio thanks for for tuning in we'll be back uh, i'll be back on thursday with live tv ratings talk on the youtube channel see you then